0: Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Carol and I uh, are actually in the United States for uh, our daughter's graduation from college. Our fourth child is graduating from Center College in Kentucky, uh, Danville, uh, next Sunday. And so we came a month early in order to be with friends and family and churches and, of course, to cap it all off with... um, With her graduation next weekend. So we're really looking forward to that. Um, Some of you were in Sunday school, and we talked a lot about our work in Spain during Sunday school. Uh, So I'm not going to talk a lot about that during our sermon. I'm going to preach from the book of Romans, and the passage that uh, is up there, we're going to read at the end of the sermon, just so you what we're going to do is kind of a survey of, um, of the book of Romans, especially as it pertains to missions. But I want you to kind of have a visual picture in your mind uh, as we study, as we read the book of, some of the passages from the book of Romans this morning, because one of the ministries that we have in Spain that I didn't talk about in Sunday school is the following, and here's the image. There's a young couple that lives in downtown Madrid named Anna and Kenton, recently married. He's Australian. She's Spanish. They have a small apartment downtown Madrid, and they really love the Word of God. And so they have opened their home for a Bible study. And so every other Tuesday night, every every 15 days, Carol and I go to their apartment, winter, summer, whatever time of the year, and she loves to cook soup. And so she makes these delicious homemade soups, and about five or six people gather, young, these are young Spaniards in their 30s, uh, in her apartment, we have a delicious homemade soup. And then we've been studying for the past two years, the book of Romans. And uh, one of the things that's really unusual about this couple is that they really want to have deep Bible study. And uh, we, we pour over verse by verse through the book of Romans. And I'm, I'm telling you, even though this is probably the smallest, most inconspicuous part of my ministry, it, for me personally, it's been some of the richest time that I've spent uh, just with those few Christians in her apartment on Tuesday night, their apartment. I say her, them, because they're recently married, so I'm used to thinking of her as a single woman. But anyway pouring over the Book of Romans uh, in her apartment in downtown Madrid. That's the context that I'm speaking out of as we we study this morning. And uh, so if you want to uh, flip around with me, I'll be flipping around through the Book of Romans, but you can just listen to the verses. I'm going to read a lot of of verses from the Book of Romans this morning. Um, So through my study of the book of Romans these past two years, I've come to believe that Paul's epistle to the Romans is the greatest missionary letter ever written. In fact, I think it's the greatest letter ever written, period. And I say that for the following reasons. First of all, it is the very Word of God, it's part of the Word of God, and so it's inspired by His Spirit and it communicates God's plan of salvation. It's also the most comprehensive of all of Paul's letters. It, it explains the gospel in the most detailed and most thorough way. Um, it bears the marks of Paul, that great apostle, the greatest theologian and greatest missionary that's ever lived apart from Jesus Christ himself. Uh, no other letter has given such great challenges to the greatest mind the greatest thinkers of history, than the book of Romans. And it also has had more impact on the formation of Christians, the formation of the church, the reformation of the church, than any other letter. And I think it's also the greatest inspired letter of the New Testament. It's the greatest of uninspired letters of history, because it's been used by God for the salvation of more people. there are people who become Christians simply from reading this letter because it answers so many questions and it explains things in such great detail. And so as I preach from it, as we read it, as we read some passages from it this morning, I have really great expectations. I believe that God is going to use this letter in your life this morning, maybe some of you, to pass from death to life, to to find security of salvation, to come to know Christ as your personal Savior, but maybe others to find clarity, to find guidance, to to find direction for your life because the book of Romans answers questions that all of us wrestle with. So um, if you want to look at your little outline in the the bulletin, we're going to hit on three points, the first two points quickly, and then kind of camp on the third point. The first point there is that God's Word motivates us for mission. God's Word motivates us for mission. Uh, The Apostle Paul, he's given me great encouragement in guidance for my life as I've meditated on the book of Romans because uh, in chapter 15, verse 20, this is the first passage we're going to refer to, Paul speaks about his own divine guidance to become an apostle. And it's interesting that he doesn't base it on his experience. You know, if you've read the Bible, you know something about the, the, um, the life of Paul. You know he became a Christian on the road to Damascus. And he had a vision of Jesus Christ appearing to him. But Paul doesn't appeal to his own experience. He doesn't appeal to that vision. He says in in chapter 15, verses 20 and 21, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but, and, and then here's where he gives the foundation for his own missionary call, the Word of God, he says, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He's quoting Isaiah 52, 15. So Paul is receiving his ambition, his motivation for taking the word, for taking the gospel to the world from the word of God itself. In other words, what took hold of Paul, what gave him ambition and passion and motivation, what really shaped his his desires was the word of God not an experience, not not an emotion, this particular text of Scripture, that which has not been told told them, they see, that which they have not heard, they understand. And in fact, um, we shared a little bit in Sunday School about our own sense of call to mission, but this verse and this teaching of Scripture was actually very formative in my own sense of call. Because One of the reasons why we're in Spain is because, and we've served previously in Mexico, one of the reasons we're in Spain is because I wanted to take the gospel to the most, to the place where people have the least access to it in the Spanish speaking world. I'd already learned Spanish in Mexico, but I learned that Spain is the least evangelized Spanish speaking country. And so that really influenced and molded my desire. To take the gospel to Spain and I think that what Paul is trying to say here is it's the Word of God that should form our ambitions in life nothing will produce greater uh, motivation desire ambition in our souls nothing will give us greater perseverance in hard times than to know that the Word of God undergirds what we're doing that the Word of God is what is sending us out. And uh, I can give you another example of the same thing from Acts chapter 13. Uh, we, we read from Acts this morning, Acts, Acts 1. But Paul and Barnabas, they wanted to reach the unreached Gentiles of Pisidian Antioch in, in Acts 13. And uh, they say that they were doing this, for so the Lord has commanded us. What were they referring to? In this case, it was Isaiah 49.6, which says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So that's my first challenge and prayer for you this morning, that the Word of God would produce in you a deep, holy passion to communicate the good news to our lost world. And it will come from God's Word, not from an emotion, not from an experience, not from lightning flashing from heaven, but you know that the Word of God is is sending you. That that is what will produce a durable ambition, whether you're a goer or you're a sender. And that's our, our title this morning. It'll master you. It'll hold you. Our second point is that God's Word calls us to be involved in mission, not only that it motivates us, but to actually be involved in mission. Um, and unless you, you think maybe I'm forcing the book of Romans uh, to preach a missionary sermon because I'm a missionary and that's what missionaries ought to do when they visit a church is preach a sermon on missions, I want you to consider some of these verses from the book of Romans. You may have never thought of them the way we're going to look at them this morning because Romans is actually the greatest missionary support letter that's ever been written. Uh, Listen to what Paul says in chapter 1, verse 5, as he's beginning the letter. We have received grace, we being here the apostles, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. So he starts off his letter saying, that's our calling. Paul is saying, this is who I am. This is my, my reason for existence. This is my calling. It's what I do. Bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. And then, near the end of this letter, he returns to the same theme. Flip, flip over to chapter 15 again. And he's now speaking to the Christians in Rome. And he's telling them how he wants them to be involved in his mission. Chapter 15, verse 23 and 24. And then also we're going to read 28 and 29. He writes, Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you in Rome, that is, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. and Then, When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them in Jerusalem what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So here's Paul writing. He's looking west towards Rome. He's wanting to go to Rome, but first he's got to go east to Jerusalem to deliver an offering, some money that he's collected for the poor in Jerusalem. But then he wants wants to come back across the Mediterranean to Rome, and he wants them, the Christians in Rome, to be his sending base to go further west to get to Spain. We don't actually know whether Paul got to Spain or not, although I did find a NIV study Bible that had a map of Paul's travels in Spain in it, and I thought, I don't know where they got that. I think it's purely hypothetical. But... You know, if you're a missionary in Spain, it feels pretty good to know that the Apostle Paul has been there. Uh, But in any case, uh, he wanted to go to Spain. We do know that. He says it right here. And he wants the Christians in Rome to be his support base, his Western base. And so that's his hope. I hope to be helped on my journey there by you. What's Paul saying? He's saying, I'm not a loner. I don't do this by myself. I need you. I'm No man is an island. I, I need a base of operations. I want you to get behind me in my mission to Spain. Pretty good that I can use that, huh? <laughs> this church has been behind me in my mission to Spain for many years, and I'm very thankful for it. But I want you to know that we need you. We, we covet your prayers. We enjoy receiving your financial contributions, but we feel a part of you. We feel like your representatives out there as we take the gospel to Spain. Um, Our third point, and we're going to spend more time on this one, is God's word explains why we must be either goers or senders. Um, This strategy of support raising, this prayer support, financial support that Paul is looking for, is why when it comes to missions, there's really only two types of Christians. There's either goers or senders. Every Christian is either a goer or a sender, unless you're just plain disobedient, but we're not going to spend time camping on that. But the, the, Paul makes it clear in the same verses 23 through 29 that we've already read, that he does not expect everyone to join him in going to Spain. But he does need them. Not everyone is called to cross-cultural missionary work. And Paul knows that. But he does need and he does want senders. Some people are called to be senders. I know God will not call every one of you to be a cross-cultural foreign missionary. But he does call you to be a sender, to be a prayer warrior, to give financially, to give encouragement. Richard prayed this morning that this being here this morning would be an encouragement to Carol and me, and it is. And we also want to be an encouragement to you that God's Word is going forth, and it's going forth in our particular place of service, which happens to be Madrid, Spain. So I believe that by the when the Word of God is preached and where there's earnest prayer for the nations, like Richard prayed this morning, uh, and there's a focus on exalting Christ, lifting up Christ, that, um, that people will be saved, and the gospel will go forth, and God will call some of you to cross-cultural service, but all of you to be senders. Now, I want to give uh, four reasons here under this third point why, um, why we are called to be either goers or senders. Basically, what I'm going to do is summarize the gospel, but I'm going to do it kind of through the lens of why God calls us to either be goers or senders. The first reason has to do with a very serious subject, and which is not popular to teach about, but it's in the book of Romans, and so we must address it, and that is the wrath of God. You know, maybe you don't think about this, but the greatest peril facing every human being on earth, in any place, at any time, in any location, is the righteous wrath of God on his or her sin, on our sin. And unless God rescues us from this judgment that we're under because of our sin, we are all going to perish. You know, when we, when we watch the news at night, we hear about tragedies. We hear about terrible things, poverty, hunger, war, uh, ignorance, uh, crime, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And these are, these are horrible things. These are bad things. And if you travel the world or you even right here in Tennessee, You see these things, but the worst thing, the worst peril, the worst tragedy that exists is to be under the righteous wrath of God, and it's horrible. It lasts forever, and unless God rescues us, it's eternal. So Paul makes many things clear about the wrath of God in Romans, and when we're studying Romans in that little apartment in Madrid I felt like we were never going to get out of Romans 1, 2, and 3, which talk over and over about the wrath of God. I felt like, oh, here we go again, another kind of depressing Bible study. But the truth is, unless you understand the bad news, you won't appreciate the good news. You won't embrace the good news. And the bad news is that we are under the wrath of God. Let's just look at a couple of verses here. There are many, really. Um, Romans 2, verse 5. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God's wrath will be revealed. And then verses 7 and 8. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he, that is God, will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Not fun to think about. But there's more. The wrath of God is owing to our sin. And how do we see that? Or how do we practice that as human beings? We exchange the glory of God for the glory of man. Uh, It's right there in verse uh, 23 of chapter 1. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. If you don't think man exchanges the glory of God for the glory of man, come to Spain. Come to Spain at Easter time and see people bowing down to images of mortal man and praying to them. It's, it's, it's not a foreign thing. It's not something that just happened in the Middle Evil ages. Other verses that you know well, uh, all are under sin, none is righteous, no, not one. That's chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Uh, Therefore, every mouth is stopped, and the whole world is accountable to God, chapter 3, verse 19. And then the well-known verse, uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is our condition. This is our, our, our status. This is our terrible condition. Need and, and terrible condition, well, I could go on, but let me just say it again, just for emphasis, the great peril facing mankind is the wrath of God towards his sin that 's number one problem you 're not going to hear it on the nightly news, but it is our our status now there 's good news, as I said you can 't understand the good news unless you 've understood first the bad news, but the good news is our second point under this third point, which is that Jesus bore God's wrath and brought our, and our joy. Here's the thing. Jesus, in his great mercy, stepped into history. This is God stepping into our history, person of his son. He took on human nature and he endured God's wrath for us. He took our place. Listen to Romans 8.32. God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Romans 5.8. God chose His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what happened? When the Son of God died, what happened? Christ's flesh was given for our self, for our nature. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That's Romans 8.3. And so that's the love of God. That's the love of God stepping in to do for us what we couldn't do. He condemned sin in the flesh. Our sin, Christ's flesh. And when He did that, sin was punished, but also God's wrath was fully satisfied. That's good news. That's really good news. Romans 3:25 God put Christ forward as a propitiation that's a big word that means the removal of wrath by his blood. This was to show God's righteousness because he had passed over former sins. So, in the work of Christ, I know this is maybe a lot to sort of try to absorb, but In the work of Christ, everything is accomplished for us to be fully set free from sin, fully justified, and God's wrath to be satisfied. Romans 5.9, since we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. So that's the good news. No wrath, no condemnation. As Romans 8.1 says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the love of God. That's the message to the nations. That's why we're goers or senders, because God has given us a message for the nations. Thirdly, let's say this and keep this clear. God saves us by grace through faith. I hope that's clear in this church. I'm sure if you've got having Richard as your pastor, you know that and you hear that frequently. But in our, in our culture, in a, in a Catholic culture, it's especially important to emphasize, because people are so prone to trust in their own works and their own efforts. Um, But salvation is not by our good deeds. And I almost feel like a broken record to say that so often in Spain, but it needs to be repeated over and over and over because we're so prone to think that it's by me being a good Christian, by me going to church every Sunday, by me praying enough that I'm going to somehow merit God's favor but that's not how it works. Uh, It's by hearing and believing the good news. Uh, Romans 10 verse 9 is a key verse in this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's wonderful news. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so right there at that point, that's where the story of salvation, the gospel, becomes the story of missions. Because we, we take this message to people so they can hear it and believe it and understand it and make that profession of faith. Uh, chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Salvation comes to the peoples, whether they're in Spain or Clarksville, by hearing the message and believing it. And that's what the cross-cultural missionary does, and that's what you do as you're sent wherever God sends you. So my prayer for you as we've meditated on these verses for Romans this morning, is that a a passage like Romans 10, verses 14 through 17, would would give you great clarity about your purpose in life, God's call on your life. that It would take hold of you, whether you're a sender or a goer, whichever God calls you to be. And then finally, the the fourth point I want to make under this uh, third point (laughs) is that God calls all of us to share our hope. Uh, beautiful verse here in uh, chapter 10, verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The feet of those who take the news of salvation. The feet, of course, referring to the whole person, but that you're going, moving. You're going out with a message of salvation. The world is not going to think so. They're not going to think you're beautiful because you bring the good news of salvation. They're not going to applaud you and stand up and praise you. and um, uh, Thinking about being beautiful here, my guess is that most of us here this morning, we don't think of ourselves as being particularly good-looking. Maybe some of you do. Most of us are pretty average, you know. Most of us are, are just kind of a normal folks, uh, not particularly pretty, not particularly uh, handsome, but there is a promise here, a, a, a wonderful promise. There is a way to, to infallible, perfect, beauty, and that is by being a preacher, a carrier of the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who tell the good news. So my challenge to you, especially maybe to you young people who are thinking about what is God's call on your life, what is your purpose in life, is this. Go deep with God. Go deep with God. Spend lots of time alone with God. Wrestle with God. Find God's purpose and His call on your life. Hang out with the most committed Christians you can find. Hang out with the people who want to know God and who want to do His will. And we're going to end by reading Romans 8 because it's a beautiful um, charter for your life. And you should, you should read it and preach it to yourself because it'll, it's such an encouragement. I read this again for about the fifth time this week at about 5 o'clock this morning because I woke up thinking about what am, you know, my sermon this morning, and it just was such an encouragement. In fact, I'm going to replace the word us in this passage with the word me, so that I, I'm going to preach it to myself right here in front of you, and I encourage you to do the same thing. If God is for me, who can be against me? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for me, how will he not also With him, graciously give me all things. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for me. Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things I am more than conqueror through him who loved me. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How beautiful. How wonderful. This is your message. This is my message to the nations. There's no greater message. There's no greater possible answer to the needs of mankind. There's no greater hope. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful book of of Romans that is such an encouragement to us. It explains so clearly your plan for us, your love for us. It answers our greatest questions. It responds to our greatest needs. Thank you for it. Please take your word this morning and seal it to our hearts. Seal it so that we might act and be motivated and driven by your word. To take your word to the nations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.